Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. As you're turning there, uh, let me once again give great honor to your bishop and his lovely wife and pastor and sister McGee. I love and appreciate these great folks and just had a great time this weekend, not just in church, but out of church, spending time with them. And I just love and appreciate uh, their spirit, love and appreciate what they, uh, they, they love this church and love you people. And I'm, I appreciate that today. First Samuel, the 30th chapter, verse number eight. Reads like this. It says, and David inquired at the Lord, saying, shall I pursue after this troop? And shall I overtake them? Notice David asked the Lord for two questions. He said, shall I pursue and shall I overtake? And God answered him, pursue. God answered the first question. For thou shalt surely overtake them. God answered the second question. But then God said this, and without fail, recover all. David asked two questions, but God gave him three answers. I've read this, preached, taught about it, heard it preached and taught on, and it jumped out at me recently. But then when I began to think about God, it didn't surprise me very much because He always goes above what we ask Him to do. And I want to preach on this thought today. His answer is greater than my question. God's answer is always greater than your question today. Would you set your Bibles down, lift your hands and hearts to heaven. Let's praise him right now. Let's give him thanks for what we're about to hear. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your presence that we feel. We thank you for your anointing that we feel. God, I ask you to anoint these lips of clay one more time to preach your word. Speak through me and speak to me and speak to your people. God, let us get a glimpse of your greatness today. Lord, let us realize that you're always greater than any problem we may face. God, we give you praise for it right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you give a hand clap to the Lord right now? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You may be seated. One of the greatest things about God is simply this. You can go to the doctor and the doctor may evaluate you and the doctor will tell you I don't specialize in your situation I'll have to send you to another doctor because they specialize in that need and and you may have a law problem and you may go to a law firm and that attorney or that lawyer may say I'm sorry but I don't specialize in what you're going through I'll have to send you to a colleague because that's their field of specialty But when we come into the house of God, you have stepped into the presence of a God that it does not matter what your need is. He specializes in it. 
It doesn't matter over here. We may have somebody that needs a touch from heaven. And back there, someone may need the Holy Ghost. Somebody over here may be having marital problems. And somebody back there may need a healing in their body. The great thing about God today is that it does not matter what your situation is. It does not matter what your problem is. He is always greater than what you're going through. Now, surely my wife knows by now if she wants me to do something around the house, she's not going to get that done by telling me how lazy I am. Or by, uh, you know, just complaining about whatever is going on. If she wants me to get up and mow the yard or fix the fence or clean off the deck or do something around the house, uh, she knows by now surely to tell me and begin bragging about, you know, oh, Michael, you're the best looking guy in the world. Uh, I'm so lucky to have you. You're, you're just a great guy. And the more she brags about me, the more I want to get up and do something. The more I want to uh, go out and mow the yard. The more I want to fix something. The more I want to start on the honeydew list. And I believe the same thing is true about God. The more we brag about him, the more he just can't wait to do something for us. So I've come today to brag about my God just a little bit. I've come today to tell you how great he is. I've come to tell you how wonderful he is. I've come to tell you that he's greater than anything you could ever face today. His provision is greater than your problem. The blessings are always greater than the need. His healing is always greater than the sickness. No wonder the Old Testament called him Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. God is a wonderful God. God is a magnificent God. And he's always greater. It's not just that he makes a way, but he is the way. It's not just that he tells the truth, but he is the truth. It's not just that he gives life, but he gives life, life, gives us life more abundantly. It's not just that he heals, but he is the healer. It's not just that he helps, but he's a very present help in times of trouble. It's not just that he comforts us, but he is the comforter. It's not just that he's a friend, but he's a friend that's sticking closer than a brother. It's not just that he forgives our sins, that would be enough, but the Bible says he forgets our sins. It's not just that my cup is full today, but like the psalmist said, it runneth over. It's not just that he gives us joy, but he gives us joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's not just that he gives us peace, but he gives us the peace that passeth all understanding. It's not just that God is able today, but he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we can ask Hey, I've come to brag about a great big God. I've come to brag about a God who is greater than your situation. He's greater than your problem. He's greater than your sickness. He's greater than your need today. I'm reminded in the Bible when the ten lepers came and they came to Jesus and Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. You're healed. Nine of them walked away. But there was one who was a Samaritan. He couldn't, he couldn't go to the priest because he was a Samaritan. So he said, I can't go to the priest, but I'll turn around and go to the, the, the high priest. And he walks back into the presence of the master. And he begins worshiping him for what he has done. 
And Jesus said these words. Go, your, go, go and by, by your faith you have been made whole. There was nine. They went back to the priest and they were healed. But they still bore the scars of what the leprosy had done to their body. But this man who came back to the presence of God and understood that his answer was greater, he understood that maybe a finger had rotted away. I believe in everything in me it started growing back. Maybe a part of his nose or a part of his ear had rotted away. What are you saying? I'm telling you that God doesn't just want to heal you today, but my God wants to make you completely whole. The things that are missing in your life, he wants to pour them into you the things that are broken in your life he wants to mend today when Jesus came to the marriage supper they said we have no wine Mary said Jesus what are you going to do about it they don't have any wine and he answered her and if I answered my mama like this I'd be preaching like this no teeth in my mouth he said woman what have I to do my time has not come. Notice the faith of Mary. She said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. You know, we'd be a whole lot better off if whatever the pastor tells us to do and word of God tells us to do, if we just do it. I remember, I, I told y'all last night that I threw the instruction sheet away when it came to making models, but I learned from my mistake, thank you. A few years ago, my brother was a newlywed, and he said he calls me one day and he says, "Man, Lori's making dinner. You want to come over for dinner? Man, free dinner. Sign me up." And so I walk up and knock on the door. My brother opens the door, and I walk in and I see two big boxes. And I thought, "There's a sucker born every second. I'm one of them." He said, "Hey, man, while she's still finishing supper, we bought these two end tables for our living room. Will you help me put them together?" Well, I, uh, I began opening one box and, and I began putting the pieces out and I looked over at my brother and he's ripping the box open and, and I watch him as he throws the instruction manual to the side. And I, I learned a long time ago when you're putting stuff together, you better watch those instructions. And I started watching and I started following the instructions word by word, number by number. And, and it wasn't just a few minutes later, maybe it was because the food smelled so good I was driven, I don't know. But it wasn't just a few minutes later, I had that end table completely put together. And I look over at my brother and he still got pieces laying everywhere. He said, how'd you do it? I said, I read the instructions. The same thing is true in our life. When we throw the instructions to the side, when we say we don't need the word of God, our life is in pieces and we don't know how to get it back together again. I'll tell you how. God gave us the word. God gave us a man of God that tells us how to live and it's not because he doesn't like you or hate you, but he wants to see you make it. Mary said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And there were some water pots there. And these water pots, the Bible says they were there for the cleansing. They were there for the guests to wash their feet. Now, they didn't have nice shoes and nice sidewalks and paved roads like we have today. They walked around on dirt roads. They had their Air Moses flip-flops on. 
no doubt on those rows they shared them with animals so they probably without getting too graphic stepped in some things that they didn't want to step in so their feet were dirty their feet were grimy and Jesus looks at these pots that they used for washing their feet you know they were nasty uh, they were muddy the water was muddy inside of it uh, the, 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 you know there was a fungus among us maybe but Jesus looks at these pots and he says, fill those pots. I'm sure there was other pots there that were beautiful and that were vessels of honor. And, and, and Jesus could have used those pots, but Jesus looked at the pots that were dirty. And Jesus looked at the pots that no one else thought could ever be of any value. And those were the pots that he decided to use. And I'm thankful today that Jesus still doesn't look at the high and mighty. And Jesus still doesn't look at those that everybody else thinks will make it and fits the part. But he looks at the lowly. And he looks at the weak. And he looks at the broken. And he says, that's the ones that I want to use for my kingdom. But he said, fill the water pots. They filled the water. He said, draw out and give it to the governor of the feast. He drew out. And the, somewhere in between the drawing and the giving, the miraculous took place. And the water turned into wine. And the governor of the feast takes a sip of the wine, and he says, this is different. And I'll just put this in the MIV, the Maupin International Version. He said, Usually when everybody's good and drunk and can't taste anymore, that's when you bring out the bad wine at the end of the feast. But you have saved the best wine for last. He said, this is the best wine I've ever tasted in my entire life. He said, why didn't you bring this out at the first? It wasn't Jesus didn't just turn it into 50-cent wine. He didn't turn it into the cheap cardboard box wine. He didn't turn it into some half-cut rate wine. But when Jesus said, I'm going to turn that water into wine, I'm going to make it the best that it's ever been. I'm going to save the best for last. And I want you to understand he still does the same today. He's still saving the best for last. I want you to understand this church hasn't seen its greatest revivals. This church hasn't seen what God wants you to see just yet. There's something greater. He's saving the best for last today. I'm reminded of when the Israelites came to the brinks of the Red Sea. And they cried out to God because... They didn't have a boat. They didn't have a ferry. There wasn't a bridge there. And they could hear the horses and the chariots. And they could look back towards Egypt and see the clouds of dust rising. And, and they can't go back. Their past is on their, on their trail. But they can't go forward because there's water in the way. I've been there before. I've been at a place where I say, God, I'm down to nothing. God, I can't take it. I can't go any further. And I definitely, God, I don't want to go to my past. My past is right on my heels trying to drag me back to who I used to be. And I don't want to be what I used to be. So I'm not going back. But God, I can't go forward either. But do you realize that when you get to that point, that's when God gets a smile on his face. Because he understands that no man can get the glory. Glory. 
No banker can get the glory. No lawyer can get the glory. No doctor can get the glory. But you're at a place where only God can move in your life. And God tells Moses, take the rod in your hand and stretch it out. And the Bible says a wind begins to blow and the waters make two walls. Now, now I want you to understand with me tonight or today. Uh, we, we, you know, in our mind, we can read this, and, and I guess Hollywood has probably helped paint the picture for us. Uh, but we, when we read this, you know, we think that God opened a little lane about the size of this middle aisle. You know, we got to grease our sides and put a Twinkie in front of my face to make it through. But somebody did some studying for all those millions of Israelites to be able to make it through the Red Sea in one night. God would have had to open a three to five mile wide highway for them to walk around. It wasn't just a barely single file. But God was able to blow back the waters of the Red Sea three to five miles so that the children of Israel could walk across. And I want to tell you, if I was one of those Israelites, it would have been all right if I'd have got halfway across. And my flip-flop would have got stuck in the mud. And I had to leave it behind. If I had an ox or a sheep that got stuck, I'd have said, man, I'll see you later. It's been fun. We've had some great times, but I'm going to the other side. If my wagon wheel would have got stuck in the middle and I had to take my stuff and my children, that would have been all right. But that's not how God operates. His answer is always greater than your question. And God said, not only are you going to make it across, but you're going to walk across on dry ground. There's no way you're going to get stuck in the middle. Your children aren't going to get stuck in the middle. Your valuables aren't going to get stuck. Hey, I want to tell somebody, God's not only going to make a way for you, but you're going to make it through on dry ground. You're not going to get stuck in the middle. God's got provision. God's got a way. He's about to make a way out of no way for somebody in the house today. Somebody needs to understand his answer is always greater than your question. I don't care what the devil tells you. I've come to tell you God is greater. You're about to get through your Red Sea. You're about to make it through your problem. You're about to make it through your test. You're about to make it through your sickness. God's opening up a way for you to make it through tonight. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give him a great praise because he's a great God. Hallelujah. Hell may be on your feet. Hell may be coming at you with everything. Your past may be trying to drag you back. But God's making a way for you to go forward. God's making a way for you to make it to your promised land. Hey, somebody needs to understand God is greater than your situation today. 
I don't care what the lawyer said, he's greater. I don't care what the banker said, he's greater. I don't care what family members may say, he's greater. I don't care what the doctor report says, he's greater. Come on, once again, let's give him a great praise. He's great and greatly to be praised. Hallelujah. Come on, he's great. Come on, he's great. Come on, he's great. Hey, I don't have to finish the message today. If somebody needs to move right now, God's here. He's greater. Come on, I don't have to finish. I got more notes, but I don't have to finish this morning. God's greater. God's greater. God's greater. God's greater. Come on, he wants you to experience him in a greater way today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The widow woman, she cried out to the prophet. She said, the creditor has come. She said, he's come to take my boys as slaves because I don't have the money to pay the debt. And notice what the prophet says. He says, what do you have in your house? He didn't say, what does the church down the road have? He didn't say, what your family and friends have? But God wants to know what you have today. And notice her face. She said, I don't have anything. But then she remembers, I do have a little pot of oil. But it is no value compared to the debt. And the man of God speaks in her life and he says, I want you and your boys to go borrow empty vessels. And notice what he says. He says, borrow not a few. See, a lot of times we expect the preacher to determine our miracle. We expect even, I'm going to mess with some of your theology. We expect God to determine our miracle. But I can tell you from this scripture, the miracle is determined upon what you want to put into it. If she would have borrowed 10 vessels, that's all that would have been filled. If she would have borrowed 10 million vessels, God had enough that he would have filled 10 million. So you need to quit looking at God and say, God, what are you going to do about it? Because God's looking at you and saying, what are you going to do about it? So they borrow the empty vessels and she shuts the doors and she begins pouring. And man, I'd just like to have been there that day. She began pouring and she thought there's no way. And one vessel gets filled. And she begins pouring in another and another. And man, and she's, her mind is blown by this point. And she's thinking, man, bring me another. And finally the boys say, that's it. That's all of them on. And the Bible says the oil stayed. Well, understand the oil did not stop flowing until there was no more empty vessels. And I want to tell this church today, the oil, the anointing of God will not stop flowing through this church as long as we have empty vessels on the pews. 
But the day that we stop bringing empty vessels and the day that we stop coming hungry and empty and needing God, that's the day the anointing stops. But if you keep coming empty, you keep coming hungry and thirsty at the righteousness, I want to tell you in the Holy Ghost today, it doesn't matter what hell tries to do. It doesn't matter what anything else tries to do. The anointing will not stop. And the prophet says, sell the oil. Pay off your debt, man. That'd have been good enough. Man, if somebody wanted to hand me a check today to pay off all the debt that I have, just go ahead and make that out. M-A-U-P-I-N. That's how you spell my last name. But God is greater than the question. Not only did she pay off the debt, but the prophet said, use the rest of the money to live off of the rest of your life. Understand with me today, God's not just here to touch you today. But I told you last night, he dwells in eternity. So he's there to touch you tomorrow and next week and next month and next year. God's able to touch you. God's able to make it happen. God said, I'm not just going to take care of your provision today, but I'll take care of you down the road also. I'm reminded when the... The disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, uh, the people are hungry. There's thousands of people here, and they're hungry, and they're ready to eat. We're going to have to send them away. And Jesus once again said, what do you have? Well, we don't have anything, God. Well, we, we do have a boy here. He's got a couple of McFish sandwiches. But uh, what, 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 what good is that with all these thousands of people? But if you'll give what you got, it may not be valuable to you. It may not be valuable to your workplace. It may not be valuable to anybody else. But if you'll give what you have, watch what God will do with it. Because God took it. He blessed it. He broke it. He distributed it. Then he told the 12 disciples, he said, go gather the fragments. God's greater. He didn't just take care of the, the thousands, the multitude. But can you believe how many baskets of fragments they gathered? 12. Ironically, there was 12 disciples. So Jesus said, not only can I take care of the multitudes, but because you allowed yourself to be a part of the miracle, and because you sacrificed your own needs for other people, Jesus said, not only am I going to take care of the multitudes, but I've watched what you've done. I've seen how faithful you've been, and I'm going to take care of you also. You, there's a nice little trip we got to go on next. We've got to go on down the road, and I've got 12 baskets full of fragments. Hey, I didn't just take care of everybody else, but I'll take care of you. I want this church to understand there's some of you, you've been giving up your finances you've been given of yourself and you feel burnout but I got news for you God's not just going to take care of the multitudes he's going to take care of you tonight too let me hurry up here Back to our original text, 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter. If you go back to verse number 1, it says it came to pass when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded. 
and they had smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire. Now, if, uh, if you're much of a Bible studier, that word of Malachi should ring a bell in your ear. Because Saul was told, I even preached about it Friday night, Saul was told to completely annihilate the Amalekites. So if Saul would have done what he was supposed to do, there would have never been an Amalekite invasion on Ziklag. That tells me today that there's some spirits that we must destroy in this generation so that the next generation won't have to battle. There's some things that we must destroy in our lives today, moms and dads, so that our children won't have to fight the same battles in their generation. And another thing I wonder when I read this is where was David and his men at? Why weren't they at home protecting Ziklag? And if you study 1 Samuel 29, David and his men were living with the Philistines. Once again, if you're much of a Bible studier, you'll understand that word Philistine, that was the same one that Goliath was a part of. That David killed. They were the God-haters. They were the ones that hated God and his people. They were the mortal enemies of the Israelites. And David and his men are living with them. What had happened was that David had stepped out of faith and began operating in fear. He was running from the, from the fury and the hatred and the jealousy of King Saul. And David, instead of operating in faith like he did when he stepped out and killed Goliath, now he's operating in fear. And he's living with God-hater enemies. See, fear and faith can't work together. If you operate in fear, you cannot operate in faith. My Bible tells me that God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if you're operating in fear, it is not of God. Fear, the difference between fear and faith is fear makes you do things that you never thought you would. David never thought he would, when he was throwing that sling at that giant and hitting him between the eyes and taking that sword and cutting his head off, David never once thought he'd ever be living with the Philistines. Fear makes you do things you never thought you would. But faith makes you do things you never thought you could. David never thought he could sling a rock and hit a Goliath. That was when he was operating in faith, but now he's operating in fear, and now he has been living with the Philistines. I want you to understand, my Bible t still tells me that we cannot be friends with the world. Now, I, no, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. We need to be friendly to the world. We'll never win the world if we don't become friendly to them. Don't you walk up around with your nose up in the air and, and, and thinking that you're better and you're some super spiritual person because you're not. You're nothing but a sinner saved by grace. We've got to be friends with them. But we cannot participate in the things that this world participates in. Because what happens is when you do that and you think, oh, everything's all right, the enemy's coming from behind and he's sneaking in and he's destroying where you live and he's stealing some things from you. 
So David and his men, they come home. Their wives and their children are gone. Their city's burnt down. And they begin crying and weeping. And the Bible says that David is greatly distressed because the people speak of stoning him. Isn't that a lot like ministry? One day people are singing your praise and the next day they're ready to kill you. But the Bible says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. See, you've got to learn this fine art today. Because there's days like tomorrow morning when you go to work and you go to school and you're the only Holy Ghost-filled person there and there's going to be problems that arise. You've got to learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. Pastor won't always be there. Youth pastor won't always be there. Bishop won't always be there. You've got to encourage yourself in the Lord. And the Bible, once again, the Bible doesn't say this, but like I said last night, I like to read between the lines. It doesn't say how David encouraged himself in the Lord, but I like to think David reached down in his pocket and he felt four smooth stones. And he reached over in his pocket and he felt the claw of a bear and the claw of a lion. And David remembered in himself, if God did it for me then, God can do it for me today. Now, I preached last night, don't look to your past. Don't look to your past mistakes and failures. And I'll preach that to the day that I die because you can't have a future if you're looking to your past. But sometimes we need to look to our past and remember that God healed me then, God can heal me today. If God fixed my marriage then, God can fix my marriage today. If God took care of my situation then, God can do it again today because his answer is always greater. And notice what David does. David calls for the man of God. He calls for the ephod. Now the ephod was a priestly garment. David smelled like the Philistines. He couldn't hear the voice of God. God wouldn't speak to him in that situation. So he had to change garments. He had to put on the holy garment, the ephod. Hey, that's why every time I come to the house of God, one of the first prayers I pray, God crucify this flesh. Because the Bible says no flesh will glory in his presence. I want you to understand the only thing that can stop the will of God, hell cannot stop the will of God. Hell can try with everything that's in them, but there's one thing that can stop the will of God, and that's when we allow our flesh into the equation. That's why every service... I say, God, crucify this flesh. Kill this flesh. Get these fleshly desires out of the way so that your spirit can operate and your spirit can speak. And David calls for the man of God and he inquires of the Lord. He didn't Google his problem. He didn't call Dr. Phil or Oprah. He didn't lay on a psychiatrist's couch. He didn't call 1-900-PSYCHIC hotline. He didn't read a self-help book. I've always wondered if you go into a bookstore and ask where the self-help section is, are you defeating the purpose? Anyway. David didn't Twitter or Facebook about his problem. But when David had a problem, he went straight to the throne room of God and he said, God, shall I pursue and shall I overtake? Notice, it wasn't that David didn't think God could give him everything back, but David was a man of war. David understood that in war times, some things get lost along the way. But God said, because of who I am, David, not only am I gonna let you pursue, and not only shall you overtake, but David, without fail, you shall recover all. 
David, there's not going to be one child missing. You're, there's not going to be one wife dead. David, there's not going to be one article of garment or clothing, not a piece of silver or gold. But David, you're going to get back everything. And the Bible said David and his men began to pursue the enemy. Now I want you to understand with me today. If David would have waited just another second, the battle would have been lost. Here's the problem. Can I see your purse? I'm not going to get in there. Does this match my outfit or is it class? It class it better. But if my dear sister here, if she has her purse up tight to her and someone walks up to her with a gun or a knife, says, give me your purse. You better give it to him. Because there's nothing in here more valuable than your life. But there's, there's a problem. There's a problem there. You're going to lose your purse, but that wasn't your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. You had it up, held up close to you. You had it up tight to you, and a robber came. But understand with me, the Bible doesn't call the devil a robber. The Bible calls the devil a thief. A thief and a robber are two different things. A robber has enough guts to come up to you in broad daylight. But a thief is sneaky. A thief comes in at night. A thief comes in whenever you're at work or on vacation. A thief sneaks in when you least expect it and begins stealing things from you. The Bible doesn't call him a robber because that's not how he operates. He knows better than to come on a Saturday night when you're up here on the altar dancing and rejoicing on a Sunday morning. He won't come and try to steal things. But let you go to work on Monday and get fired. Let you go home on a Sunday afternoon and have a fight with your spouse. Let you get a bill in the mail tomorrow and you don't have any money in your checking account. That's when he begins sneaking in and taking things from you. Sis, if you had your purse up close to you and somebody took it from you, that's not your fault. But on the flip side of that, if she goes to the mall and she sets their purse down and she sits on a bench for a minute and she's so wrapped up in her cell phone that she forgets about her purse and she gets up and walks off to the next store and she finds her those shoes she's been looking for. I'm preaching, ain't I, brother? And she remembers my purse sitting on my, on my shoulder. Well, in the world that we live in, when she goes back to get that purse, it will not be there. So that was her fault. See, the same thing holds true in spiritual aspects. There's sometimes we're living for God and we've got things that are precious to us up against us and we're fighting the fight and because of who the devil is, some things get stolen from us. But on the flip side of that, there's sometimes that God gives us gifts and God gives us anointing and God gives us ministry and we take it and we set it down. And we say that's not of any value to me right now. God, I appreciate you blessing me to sing and play. I appreciate you calling me to preach. I appreciate you asking me to, to teach Sunday school pastor, but I just don't want to do it. Right? I want to go live for myself for a little while. I'll come back one day. One day I want to pick it back up, and I'll go live whatever I want to live, but I want you to understand, when you come back, that will not be there. The enemy will have swept in and stole it from you. One pastor I preached for in South Mississippi, he told me 
that they, they were an elderly couple. He said they never go upstairs. They have an office upstairs. They have a credit card up on the desk that they never use. He said they got a bill in the mail. Somebody had ordered a bunch of junk offline through their credit card. Sure enough, he goes upstairs. The credit card is gone. The window had been broken out. Somebody, while they were on vacation, broke in and stole that credit card. So he didn't even realize that it was gone until he needed it. See, there's a lot of times we don't even realize the enemy has stolen some things from us because we've put it up on the shelf, but God let a little bad thing happen to my life. And I go to get that prayer life again, and it's gone. God let something bad happen and tragic happen in my life and I go to get that peace that I need and it's gone. God, let me fight a battle. Let me try to praise my way out of it and I go up to get it and God, the enemy has come and it's gone. The Bible says he's a thief. He came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. If David and his men would have waited one day later, God's promise would have been null and void. Because it is the natural, it's, he can't help it. That's who he is. He steals, he kills, and destroys. It is his purpose that he wants to steal from us, but it's not good enough just to steal it. He wants to kill it. And he doesn't just want to kill it because he knows how God operates. If you want to find the, when Jesus preached a, a funeral in the Bible, you'll never find it. He never met a funeral he didn't like. Every funeral he went to, he touched the body and said, get up. The devil knows how our God operates. It's not just enough to steal it because God, he knows he's a God of restoration. It's not just enough to kill it because God can raise things from the dead. But the devil wants to steal, kill, and to destroy. If somebody came in here and knocked the windows out at night and spray painted graffiti and stole the instruments and just put holes in the sheetrock and destroy, just tried to destroy this building, it's not really destroyed. They may try to kill the spirit. They may steal some things. But the building's not destroyed. Insurance will pay. You can patch the holes. You can buy new instruments. You, you can paint over the graffiti. It's not destroyed. But if someone, an arsonist, set fire to this building and burnt this building to the foundations, it doesn't matter if you take the old architectural blueprints and try to build this building exactly, try to pick out the same wood, the same colors. This is not the same building as the other one because the other building was completely destroyed. Understand, the devil doesn't just want to steal things from you. He wants to kill it and he wants to destroy it because if he destroys it, he understands there's nothing for you to build upon. If I can take it and kill it, God can still move it. But if I destroy it, I'll destroy everything. You've got to understand today that the enemy has came and stole some things from you. And if you wait too long, maybe you don't like my preaching. Maybe you want to wait till pastor or bishop preaches again. Maybe you want to wait till the next evangelist rolls around. But if you wait too long to try to get back what the enemy has stolen from you, it's a natural progression of the enemy to steal, to kill, and to destroy. By the next revival rolls around, what you had stole from you may be destroyed. The Bible said, David and his men, they went down. And they found the Amalekites and they were rejoicing over the stuff that they had stolen from the land of Judah. The land of praise. See, the enemy understands something. He understands he can steal your praise because your praise is detrimental to your stuff. 
Anybody can praise God. I've heard Snoop Dogg praise God, and if he's a Christian, I'm skinny today. Some of y'all don't even know who Snoop Dogg is. That's good. But anybody can praise God. Praising God's easy. Lord, I thank you for the sunshine. I thank you for a car. I thank you for a house. I thank you for a job. I thank you for money. I thank you for my wife and children. I thank you for clothes to wear. Anybody can praise God. That's easy. There's, nothing, there's no price with praise. So the enemy understands that if I can take your stuff, then I take your praise. Because when you don't have anything to praise God over, you, you don't have any praise in your heart anymore. But there's one thing the enemy can never steal from you. And I'll prove it scripturally. Jesus stepped into the land of the Gadarenes. And a demon-possessed man was there. And they said that he was crazy. He'd rip his clothes off. He'd sleep in tombs. And they tried to bind him with chains. And he couldn't, they couldn't even keep him bound. Every, that demon was so powerful inside of him that even whenever they tried to bind him, he would break the chains. That demonic possession of him was powerful. No one could bind him. They couldn't keep clothes on him. They couldn't keep him out of the tombs because the demon possession was so powerful. But when Jesus stepped on shore, that demon-possessed man came running and fell at the feet of Jesus and began to worship him. The enemy might have took his stuff. The enemy might have took his life. The enemy might have took his clothes. The enemy might have took his mind. But the enemy never took his worship. So if you're here today and the enemy has stolen some things from your praise and the enemy has stolen your joy and your peace and your praise and you think, God, I don't have anything to battle with anymore, you still have your worship. You may think, I don't have anything. The enemy stole everything. No, no, no. You still have your worship. And when you worship God, you step into a realm with him like no other. You step into heavenly places and you join with the angels of heaven and worship him. The Bible said David and his men came down and they began smiting and they began fighting and they began winning the battle. And notice what the Bible says. And David smote them from the twilight of the evening to the next day and David Recovered all. David rescued his wife. There was nothing lacking, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything they had taken. But David recovered all. Well, you're preaching about his answer is greater than your question. You're right, I am. But David got spoil from the other places. I want somebody to understand with me, not only is God wanting to give you back some things the enemy has stolen from you, but he wants you to walk out of here with more than you ever had before. Come on, let's all stand right now. Hallelujah, this altar is open right now. This altar is open for somebody that the thief has stolen some things from you. And it's your day to get it back. You can't wait one more minute. You can't wait even till service tonight. 
And God knows you can't wait till the next time pastor preaches or the next revival because the enemy may kill it and destroy it. Today is the day of salvation. Today is your day. Today is your day to get back everything that the enemy has stolen from you. But because his answer is greater, you can get back even more. You may come for peace, but you can leave with joy. You may come for restoration, but you can leave with the Holy Ghost. God's here to touch somebody in this house. Hallelujah. Can we come right now? Come on, if you want to experience that. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.